When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> and hey, Peter. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> hey, guys. And hello, everyone listening. Welcome to Dismembering Horror. We're back. That's right. Episode 172 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and <laughs> <laughs> myself, Tim Aslan. <laughs> And sometimes a special guest, we dismember a horror film. We talk about what worked, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about, a, as I just said, a horror film. And today, as you may have just heard, we do indeed have a very special guest in the house, in the dismembering horror house, none other than our first recurring guest, Peter Warden. Hello, Peter. Hello, Ryan, and hello, Tim. I didn't realize I was the first recurring guest. That's an honor. Yes, happy to be here. I thought it'd be fun to uh, to have a familiar face on mm. uh, to start us off right for our sort of uh, re re premiere here, Certainly. our, our re debut, the requel, if you will. Oh my goodness, <laughs> we're starting already. <laughs> so, so Peter, so. Uh, so just so we have a little more context for our listeners than you just being a guy named Peter here, who's a friend of ours, I want to ask you some get-to-know-you questions. Shoot. So t- Peter is a very talented actor. So Peter, I'd like to hear your three favorite roles you've acted in, in theater. Peter does theater. Oh, my good. Okay, three favorite. No, I can do this. All right. Um Yes, thank you for that question. I appreciate it. All right, my three favorite roles, I will say one would definitely be Felix Unger in The Odd Couple. Uh, Number two was a character named Peter in a show called Silent Sky by Lauren Gunderson, uh, where I played a foreman at a... Yeah, never mind. Yeah, it it was a really great role. It was like a romantic role and also kind of like I wasn't really a great guy as well. It was uh, all different facets of what I could do. And I think number three, going way back to college years, a flea in her ear. I was, um, yeah, it was a big, fun, farcical comedy that I got to just be as wacky and crazy as I wanted to be. All right. Some for the the theater fans, and then we got the odd couple there. I recognize that one. Oh, good. I'm glad. So uh, then for context here, for we're talking about movies today, I wanted to know not necessarily what your favorite films were, but if there is a linking trait to films that generally are your favorite films, what would those be? Okay, that's interesting. I my favorite kinds of films, I will I will say right up top, um horror isn't necessarily my top favorite uh genre of film. I'm more of a comedy guy, I'm more of a drama guy, I'm more of a dramedy sort of guy. I'm someone who will like movies that just tug at the heartstrings and make you laugh as well, whether that is something that can be really cheesy or something that can be really like emotionally dramatically intense. That's that is my game, but uh, what I mostly gravitate towards. Great. And uh, tell us a bit about your podcast. 
Oh, my podcast. Yeah, I guess it still exists. It didn't. It's been a few months, a few months. God, it's been a few. No, a few months. It's been like seven months since my last uh, show. Uh, It was a show called Retro Reviews where I did with my friend Ray. Uh, We basically would go to 10 years ago or older, but no farther back than the year 1980. So by today, it would be anywhere from 1980 to the beginning of 2012. And just whatever movie we feel like talking about, uh, whatever strikes our fancy, we just spend an hour or so talking about it. And um, whether uh, sometimes it's it can be contentious, but a lot of times we really agree. We seem to be mostly on the same wavelength as far as films go. And we tend to, we don't do this intentionally, but we tend to do movies that we really, really like. We don't do a lot of like uh, movies where we just, slam or try to be like angry or upset about these movies it does happen but for the most part it's like okay what's another favorite movie of mine oh cool okay cool yeah ray let's do this and that's how it goes but hopefully it'll pick back up again soon because i i do miss doing it um great yeah then it will all right thank you peter so we got a lot to talk about today this was about uh, over a year ago, Tim and I released our four episodes for our October special, talking about the four Scream films that previ- that, that still exist, I was going to say previously existed, <laughs> that uh, we wanted to do, a, uh, but we, we wanted to preserve what our thoughts were in a pre-Scream 2022 world. And now, Tim, we have entered that new reality <laughs> with a fifth Scream film. So we are here today to follow up and discuss and dismember as we do and to get right into it i think we should just get in with the trailer are you ready tim yeah peter i can't wait all right here we go trailer for from 2022 scream hello it's happening three attacks so far do you have a gun i'm sydney prescott of course i have a gun Something about this one just feels different. Samantha? I'm, I know who you are. I've been through this a lot. This is your life now, which means that whoever this is is going to keep coming for you. You ready for this? Never. Oh, stop. Wait, wait, wait. certain rules to surviving. The attacks were all on people related to the original killers. Whatever his link is to our past. Here we go. Scream. Had you seen the trailer? No, I did not yeah. watch that leading up to it. Yeah, I avoided it pretty hard too. I know I watched a trailer, but I don't think it was that one. I don't, That gave away way more than I... I feel like I would have known. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, after the trailer, we like to jump into our rating per our rating system. Would we tell ourselves to avoid, stream, rent, or buy this film? So, Peter, being our guest. And I'm going to ask for uh, a long lead up here, Peter, because, you know, as you said earlier, you are not a horror guy. Mm. So now for your Scream context, why I really wanted to have you on the show, it's even though you don't identify as a horror guy, you love the Scream movies. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I love the Scream movies. And, you know, when I say I'm not a horror guy, it's like I don't go to venture to see every horror movie. It's like a horror movie has to have a like really good reviews and be really hyped up for me to be like, OK, yeah, I'll go see that. But the Scream movies, they I uh, hold a very special place in my heart. It's like I movies I kind of grew up with. So. Yeah. So yeah. what is it? Why the Scream movies versus all other horror franchises? What is it about them? I, the thing about, I mean, particularly the first Scream movie, it is, yes, it has some genuinely scary moments. It has a lot of humor to it. It has a lot of characters who are relatable and identifiable and you, who you remember, who stick out in your mind. Um, it's a healthy, fun dose of 90s nostalgia, which someone my age really does appreciate. Um, it just so happened to have been filmed not far from where I live, which is pretty fun. Um, and it's just... and all the self-referential humor kind of breaking down and in a way sort of uh, kind of identifying things that I don't tend to like about slasher movies and still playing into them and sort of justifying them that way and just sort of playing with the audience in a really fun way. It, it doesn't really feel like uh, like a horror movie when I watch it. It feels like just a really, really fun experience. But I know horror fans love the movies too, so it seems to... It really branches out with the Phantom of Scream, I've found. Great. So if you can then give us a bit of a, a quick summary on what you make of the first four, and could you lead that then into your rating per our rating system of Scream 5 and just give us your sort of overview review? Oh, boy. Do you want rating systems for all four of them? <laughs> or a rate, rating no, just, for all just, of them? Right? generally how you <laughs> liked them. I mean, Scream is, like, untouchable. I love that movie to death. I watch it at least, I'd, I'd say once a year, maybe more, but I've seen it many, many times. It kind of perfectly encapsulates everything that i love about the series scream 2 has really great ideas to it there are really great scenes and set pieces but i'll be honest i do get kind of annoyed by the college campus atmosphere to it that it just verges a little too much into things that i don't like about 90s pop culture like a, sort of a little like too much never been kissed or the scene in the cafeteria where jerry o'connell sings i think i love you to sydney <laughs> makes me want to tear my eyeballs out. I cannot stand that scene. It's like, what is this doing in this Scream movie? It's So, yeah. Scenes like that play out a lot in Scream 2, which keeps it, in my mind, from being as good as I feel like a lot of people think it is or feel it is. But it's still a movie I revisit frequently, so I certainly can't say I dislike it. Scream 3, I like more than most people. I I think the scene where she is in the on the set of um the stab three movie and gets attacked by the killer that i that's a mind-blowing scene that i love i think it is a highlight of the series it really like and there are a lot of like scenes like really creepy moments like that in that movie that does kind of make up for its minor shortcomings here and there but i do i do find that i like screen three a lot more than most people seem to a lot of people call that like the the lame duck of the series scream four i loved when i saw it at a midnight opening in theaters i loved it i thought it was oh so cool such a fun new direction they took it in and uh like who could have seen that killer coming so i had a really i had a really great time watching that for the first time but every time i've tried to rewatch it it just kind of loses its its muster i think it verges a little too far into the comedy realm for it to really work for me as a screen movie. So it is probably my least favorite, but uh, 
I did just watch it, rewatch it a couple of days ago just because I hadn't seen it in a while. So, uh, and yeah, I still kind of feel that way, but there's a lot of good stuff to it too. Scream 2022 or Scream 5 or Scream The Return or whatever you want to call it. I was, I loved it. I loved the hell out of it. It made me so happy. It was exactly the Scream movie that I was hoping for and was like wanting for all these years. I have seen it twice so far. My first time was normally. My second time was D-Box. We can talk about D-Box later, but I've I've seen the movie twice. And uh, I enjoyed it just as much the second time because there's a lot of fun clues that you see throughout that uh, lead to the potential result. This is 100% a a buy for me maybe not a double buy but i am i was very pleased with scream 2022 it made me happy great (laughs) timothy yes sir (laughs) scream movies and scream oh man uh i would say i would put the scream movies in this order including scream 2022 (laughs) scream one Number one, no problem. Uh, I think I like number four best next. Hmm. Then number two, well, then maybe this one. So this most recent screen, five, whatever. Then probably two, then three. I think that's the order I would stick to. Um, I... I enjoyed this one, but there were enough little like head tilting things for me where I just was like, Oh, are we, mm, is that really what we're going to do here? (laughs) That I, I felt a little not psyched. I, I, I had a good time watching it. I think there's a lot of good stuff in it, but I didn't walk out going, Holy shit. That is, that was an amazing scream movie. It c- was close. It like it was knocking on the door for me, but didn't quite hit it. I, I can kind of mirror you pretty spot on, except for rather than say, didn't walk out feeling it was a great scream movie. It was more I could say I walked out thinking it was a fun, great time, but not maybe the sort of high I had when I left Scream 4 when it originally came out. Yeah, yeah. But I don't... I'm sort of going to claim first viewing just whatevers. Because, like, I can't remember now if we're Scream 2 and 3 and I guess even 4 if, like, uh, they were as shocking as I remember or, you know, I really wasn't guessing things along the way or any of my sort of maybe minor experiential qualms with it. I mean maybe it was just that I saw Scream 4 in a packed house and then saw this new one in like a near empty theater you sure, know? Sure. so I, I don't know and I'm really just interested to talk to you guys about it but because it's a Scream movie and I think I'll always just buy them to complete the collection <laughs> I'm technically a buy it um, but oh, I'd say yeah. more hmm. more just kind of I don't know, like for sure, for sure, rent it. I don't know, but hey, this is how our rating system works. We have to clarify <laughs> it, but it's technically a buy it. I think that, oh man. Ah, I don't actually know what I would rate it then. <laughs> like, I feel like you just buy it because 
why wouldn't you? What would you tell exactly. yourself, Tim? Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. We I can mean, come back at the end of the I'm show. If I'm going to buy the first one, which I definitely would, I would just buy all of them. So, look, I guess that's a weird way of saying that I don't think any any of them are bad enough not to own. Like, I don't even really... I don't like three. Like... <laughs> I'm like always very bleh about three. I just re- part thought, of it is yeah. Courtney Cox's hair. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> you know they were making fun of that it. on the Drew Barrymore show. They had right. them all on, and they showed a picture. I'm like, I actually like. I think it looks kind of cute. I don't know. <laughs> it didn't bother me the way it seems to. But I th- she's making way too much out of it. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm a buy too. But here's here's my question: Can we just recap who the killers of all of the previous four movies were please sure i think this is important for context all right so i obvious i remember the first one very well i've seen that one far more than any of the others i assume you guys are probably in the same camp pretty much so okay so the killers and the motive are billy loomis who is Sidney prescott's boyfriend and his friend Stu mocker their motive is that Billy's dad <laughs> Am I going to get this right? Billy's dad was the dude that Sydney's mom had an affair with, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then what happened that caused made... his family to break up because of that? Okay. And that's it? Like his mother abandoned him. He was uh Okay. okay. Yeah, like he I guess was left alone from that's... that. Yeah. Destroyed his family. That's pretty lame i mean i <laughs> like for him to be that upset over though remember like we talked about in our scream episode in the 90s bubble world like <laughs> you know that sure i think that works there's tracks i it tracks i think it works but i'm saying he's lame <laughs> yeah i mean well, we know oh, that yeah, from okay. how he how he treats uh sydney exactly like, straight exactly. up a so lot I of think that's a kill for that. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an important sort of uh, recurring truism to the killers, I think. Okay, so and number two, well, and Stu, yeah, his friend is there. He thinks that they're going to be famous because of it. He's just, sort of his. He says, "What does he along? say? Moral support, peer pressure." I'm right. far too sensitive. Oh, right. I think is what he says. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, great. Number two is Billy's mom, Billy Loomis's mom, Mrs. Loomis, Debbie, and Mickey Altieri, who's Timothy Oliphant. What's his deal? He was a crazed, like, Quentin Tarantino, like, fan, right? <laughs> yeah, he said, like, he's going to, well, I don't know if this is mo- his motive. Well, I, I don't, I can't remember how they met or what, but he says he's right. going to blame the movies. Um, and he's going to get, uh, apparently, Bob Dole was really into violence in the media and condemning <laughs> yeah. that. So he was going to align himself with that. And, like, yeah, fine. So, yeah. And so <laughs> Mrs. Loomis really kind of has, like, recruited him, I guess, right? Yeah. To, because she's mad that Sydney killed her son. That one, you know, I think that that's legit. I mean, it's, it's, you're like unhinged but great okay so we're still so so still got loomis's lumen here (laughs) number three the killer is roman bridger single killer 
What's his issue? Okay, he apparently recruited the um the original two killers to carry that out because Sydney w- oh, wait, no. Get, <laughs> wait. <laughs> Sydney was getting too much publicity and he was her brother and he was mad about that but the timeline uh, what no, i just said the timeline doesn't quite right work out. he's like the estranged brother who's like her, his mom had uh an affair with someone i guess when she was in hollywood she had a stint in hollywood yes so he's sydney's half brother who then when his mom left hollywood just just left him behind okay uh yes that I, I'll, I'll just say I remember seeing that movie in theaters and that ending landed with a total thud more than any of the others. Agreed. So I, like that. <laughs> I remember I, d- I couldn't I couldn't even who who is this guy? Oh, he, what? No, like, I didn't even know who he well, was. And isn't they... in that one. He, he, we we meet him for like 30 seconds in one scene and then like not until the end, essentially. He's in a couple of scenes, but he's just not a memorable enough character yeah. for it to really mean anything when it happens. So, OK, so. Fair week number four <laughs> it's official <laughs> number four <laughs> the killers are jill roberts who is sydney's niece <laughs> and her boyfriend no i thought it was or it's just a, it's rory culkin yeah just another guy He's just in one of the, their in the cross okay the jamie kennedy stand-in or the um or the, right. or the randy yes yes yes, yes 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 Okay, his name was Charlie Walker. Now, this one really is I thought sort it was, of... they were cousins, wait, or is it niece? I don't remember. Okay. Niece. Yeah, okay, I think it's niece. niece, right? Yeah. Okay, so... And her... she also wants... She's she's jealous of her fame is a big Re- part of it. Yeah, she's got survivor jealousy. No, she's got... Well, she's jealous that Sydney survived and got publicity for it. And so she's constructed this whole thing to be a survivor of new ghost faces. And she frames her. She That's who the boyfriend is. She frames her boyfriend, I think. Right. In the end, she's set it up to make it look like he's one of the killers and that she. Yes. Yes. She like beats like, herself up like yeah. Fight Club style yeah, in yeah, the living yeah. room. Yeah. Right. OK. So not far off from the previous movie, actually, as her brother was. um uh jealous of the publicity and now she's jealous right of the okay so then we we get to number five i mean s- spoiler <laughs> like should yeah. we even should we <laughs> dive in or should we just say what it is you wanted to set okay. the stage here so <laughs> I, I don't know i think we should just say what it is yeah, okay people have heard it or so watched it Jeez. <laughs> okay so the killers in this one are well now i don't remember their names jesus uh, let's see. Uh, not Amber. Yes, Amber. Uh, who's a high school student who is friends with the sis. This it's convoluted. <laughs> She's friends with the sister of Billy Loomis's child. Mm-hmm. Who didn't really know she was Billy Loomis's child until she was a bit older. Yeah. Right. Okay. And who knew that Billy had a kid, right? Yeah. He knocked yeah. he knocked somebody that. up in high school before the events of the first screen. Yeah, it's ironic considering his motive uh for 
the killings lately. Oh, he's a home wrecker too. Or, That's or, right. Well, yeah, something like that. Well, he is. Maybe not a home wrecker. Sort of, yeah, I mean, right. by chain of events. He's okay. abandoning someone, so. And, and, okay, yeah. so, yeah. Right. It's her and a super fan, essentially. Like a Reddit thread mm-hmm. fanfic super fan dude who is mad that the stab movies have have sort of derailed from what the the original the greatness of the original yes they believe that uh in order to restore it you have to the best ones were always based on actual events so they want to make those actual events okay so they can make yeah make the new movie based on yeah right and so we were watching yeah so the so amber's motivation is sort of adjacent to that fandom thing in that she what's her issue like why is she so upset um i feel like we should save this for a different <laughs> what session. didn't work right now, right? <laughs> okay fair enough right. so but it is sort of it is a little bit in line of this it's it's sort of based in jealousy and like wanting attention which which every movie has essentially that is the killer's motivation and any kind of like clarifications about uh what lines were how the order happened what people's motivations were for this film i'm gonna look to you peter because you've seen it twice <laughs> i'll try fair. yeah i know right fair i've only seen it once <laughs> <laughs> twice and, and uh do you want to do we want to say when we're recording this <laughs> I don't care. It opened on Thursday night. It's now Sunday. I've seen it twice. So yes, okay. <laughs> that's fair. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, cool. I think that's all good establishing stuff. Let's talk about the story. Okay, our summary. Yes. <laughs> all right. Who wants to do it? Peter, I oh, guess. Oh, jeez. Really? <laughs> I don't know. You both have computers in front of you. Um, uh, okay. Um, summary. If you need help with names, we're here. Yeah, I'm definitely going to need that. Um, okay, how detailed do we go? All right, so there's um, uh, a girl played by Jenna Ortega. Her name is what? Tara. Tara. Her name is Tara. She gets harassed on the phone, s- similar to Drew Barrymore in the opening scene. Um, it turns out she survives the attack. Her sister hears about it, her older sister, who they've been estranged for a while because her older sister got into drugs and whatnot. Um, She hears about it and goes to visit her. uh, And when she goes to visit her, she confesses that the reason why she's been weird around her is because she found out that uh, Billy Loomis, a serial killer, was her father and her mother never told her about it and that led to just a complete uh, destruction of their relationship. Um, then uh, there is another attack on a guy who is harassing one of the female characters. I can't remember which one it was, but that was Kyle. <laughs> Kyle Gallner was the actor who played him. I don't think we need every kill. We don't need to just... <laughs> okay. I don't know. I'm literally going through it's like scene by scene, but yeah. Uh, Something between a summary and an IMDb summary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll be here all day, won't we? All night. Um, okay, yeah. So then, like, more, more attacks happen and whatnot. Uh, eventually, uh, the original three get roped in. 
Um, Dewey sadly gets killed in one of the attacks uh, in the hospital. Then everything ends up at Stu Mocker's house, um, which, <laughs> and we find out at a big party because there's always a big party. Then uh, when, uh, then a couple more people get killed or maybe get killed. We find out later that they didn't. And um, <laughs> my God, where am I at now? Uh, then it's revealed that it's uh, actually Amber, who's the killer and kills somebody in that sense. And then it turns out, oh yeah, they say never trust the love interest. And sure enough, the love interest of um, uh, Melissa Barrera. Um, what's, what's her name? What's her name? Uh, <laughs> the main character. The main character. <laughs> Sam. Sam. <laughs> Sam's boyfriend. Jack Chip, Quaid, Chip, <laughs> Richie, Richie, Chip. Uh, they <laughs> is the other killer. They have been uh, collaborating with each other on things like 4chan and Reddit, and uh, to set this whole elaborate scheme up to repair the Stab franchise because everyone really hated Stab Eight. A clear nod to Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi, and uh, then. Um, yeah, Dewey. Do, uh, yeah, I mentioned Dewey got killed. I'm doing horribly at this card. Um, uh, then, yeah, there's some more kills and uh, Amber <laughs> and um, Rich eventually meet their demise and they move forward and a couple of people are still alive and uh, set up for Scream 6. How'd I, how'd I do? Great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Anything to add that's important, Tim? Probably um... a lot. <laughs> Well, from a care there, so like setting the scene of the current Woodsboro realm, world that we're in, we've got returning characters. The sheriff, Judy Hicks, is yeah. So Judy oh, right. has yeah. taken over the sheriff's role from Dewey, who has retired. Mm-hmm. Dewey and Gale are no longer together. Um, uh, Sydney is, you know living living a life she's off jogging with a baby yeah she's she's got her shit under control (laughs) elsewhere um and then we get some tie-ins we've got the twins who are randy's niece and nephew um they're part of this friend group that that is tara amber the two of them and one of the twins' girlfriend, whose name I don't remember, um, she kind of just disappears in the movie. I don't think she has a single line in that movie. Was it Mindy? Oh, Liv, Liv. Liv, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's barely, barely in it. Um, so you do get this new crew of, of teenagers. Um, and then, obviously, you get Sam and her boyfriend, who, what are we saying? They're about 22-ish? Sure. Maybe they're yeah. out of... They're supposed to be like five they, years older, I guess. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, 22-ish if, if all the high schoolers are 17. Um, and, oh, and there's one other friend in there, Wes. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, a callback to her homage, whatever you call it, um, named after Wes Craven. And uh, he's the son of Judy Hicks, the sheriff. So those are sort of our players, right? Is that, am I missing somebody? Everyone's related no, to I everyone. That, I think that's it. <laughs> oh, um, I, I do want to, since you mentioned Wes, uh, Sam Carpenter is her last name, if I'm not wrong. Yes, so, it yes, is. For John Carpenter. So yeah. Well, and so, as far as if we're <laughs> linking characters to, um, yes, we mentioned she was the, um, or you could say we have the re- return 
of Billy Loomis in, oh, right. <laughs> in ghost form. In Sam's, hallucination uh, Sam's hallucinations. That's true. I guess that is an important factor. Sam is is having psychotic or, yeah, hallucinations of some psychotic nature, and she's taking some sort of medication to curb that. But we do get vi- she gets visited by Billy's specter, yeah, which at sort various of, times it sort mm-hmm. of adds the through line of when they you know presenting the idea of she may be the killer. It sort of is a way to maybe mm-hmm. explain that while we're watching it, right? Oh, um, Vince, who's Vince? He's the weird like the is that Kyle Gellner? Yeah, yeah, he's the guy with the mustache who gets uh, killed early on at the, right, bar. Right, the right, shady right. guy. Oh yeah, so yeah, he's yeah he's one of the early kills. He was revealed to be Stu Mocker's nephew as well. So that's another where which, which I missed the first time I saw it. I didn't catch that till <laughs> yeah, the second yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, it was a bit of a throwaway, but they're like, oh, they're yeah. going after people, you know, related to the first murders is right. sort of the what they, you know key in on do we have to wait to like scream seven to get like all the weathers involved in it because courtney cox is the only <laughs> one who's like kind of on her own doesn't it? <laughs> they haven't had any kids as far as we know so yeah. there's like yeah probably ends with uh weathers riley right there yeah yeah okay so i think that pretty well covers it cool um sorry the twins are named chad and <laughs> something else mindy Yep. I think Chad and Mindy. Yeah. Okay. okay. If that's helpful. Great. All right. Got our summary. Got our characters. What's good. Got our connections. I think that means that we have who the killers are of the first four films. <laughs> uh, I think that means we're set for our first big section here. The meat and potatoes, so to speak. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. I mean, Tim, I feel like we almost got to just pick up after our last discussion of the four Scream films. Do you remember, I was thinking about this and I meant to look it up. We posited ideas of what the the, this movie could be about. Do you remember what what, what we said? The, I, only remember something that we said that wasn't good, which was <laughs> the idea that it would be like multiple killers kind of like across the world um, oh. coordinating. <laughs> but, That'll be Scream 10. Yeah, <laughs> we had other, but we were trying to come at it from a, well, what would it say about horror nowadays? And I forget what we specifically said, but I thought that's exactly what would be interesting to set off is uh, pinpointing that question that we had that we now have the answer for. Which was if, you know, these movies are always in conversation with horror films. This one, we had the triage is how I counted it of commentary on requels or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, quote, unquote, elevated horror references to <laughs> right. that. And then last but not least, toxic fandom. Yes. I think that's great. I mean, I was really psyched that these sort of ideas were you know a part of the character's world and conversation like that i felt like it felt appropriate to a scream movie yeah it's so satisfying exactly because you think 
That's exactly what we were trying to posit 10 years later. Where are we at? How are things different? And just boom, boom, boom. Those three. Yeah. I, I thought, I mean, I can't, I kind of wish I had re-listened to that episode. I listened to it a year ago when you did it. But yeah, it would have been cool to compare that. But but yeah, uh, when they say at the very beginning, what's your favorite scary movie? And she says, The Babadook, right there. Just kind of like the light bulb went off in my head. Yeah, horror is really different today than it was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And uh, by the way, as someone who, you know, I said earlier, I'm not a huge horror guy, but if something gets great reviews, I'll do it. All those movies they name checked in that first scene, The Babadook, It Follows, um, uh, The Witch, Hereditary. And Hereditary. Yeah. I've seen all of those, and I'm very <laughs> proud to be able to say, like, yeah, I made good choices there. I, um, I guess this is more a compliment to Scream 4 and how it is ahead of the time with just getting out of the way the idea of the social media star and doing something for stardom. Because yeah. I feel like if that didn't have that, then we might not have gotten to the idea of toxic fandom for mm-hmm. this one, which was fresh new territory to explore that was fun here it's yeah toxic that's a very relevant with with every movie that's out there it's such a big part of what how movies are made right now like studios are listening to what people say on twitter this just makes it's a very different like situation we have right now yeah. to compared to just 10 years ago but it's there's i mean release the snyder cut is a positive thing you know out of that i'd say yeah yeah that's well i never saw that but i i trust that that is well a, i mean you were just posting it as yeah. the the fans certainly have a say nowadays and i was just pointing out that can be good or yeah. bad or i but i guess here the the idea is more uh the amount at which they care the okay. love turning into something where you'd um <laughs> resort to violence and murder <laughs> to defend that love of something it's pretty extreme out there <laughs> well but yeah. it is i mean i really felt it it landed because it it evokes exactly the feeling that you get when you go on twitter mm-hmm. and you like go down these like comment threads of just people just the vitriolic like insanity that you you can you know tumble around within in 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 the reddit or the twitter sphere and it's it's wild it's like upsetting yeah (laughs) disturbing and like i feel like this movie was able to tap into the at least the feeling that you get when you're like experiencing that stuff so you're pointing out yeah you can experience it from the being able to view the toxicity of halloween kills ruin michael myers for me or whatever but i I think when it clicked for me was when I was able to identify with the other perspective of feeling that fandom, which happened for me in the moment, because that's important, too, to help, you know, sell the killers or whatever. But the moment, maybe this is the only moment for me that sort of did it, but was when you see the footage of Stab 8, you know, they're (laughs) describing how terrible it is. And I'm just imagining like. I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so they have him like, you know, shooting a, is what he has like a, a, a metal mask and is shooting yeah. a flamethrower, yeah. <laughs> which is like hilarious and great. And in a way, I'd kind of love that too. But, uh, and, you know, of course, I love like Leprechaun, of course, that's just silly. It's allowed to go to space and Jason, <laughs> you know, Friday the 13th are silly. So that doesn't ruin it for me. But it's the goes to space equivalent. But when it is something that's more like rooted in, I guess, in the world of the movie, actual killings, I can get how that would be a part of that love and fandom for you that it's, you know, has a relation to these serious heavy events. So then it is almost a sort of slap in the face to have 
metal ghost face shooting a flamethrower in that sense. So I don't know, just just seeing how horrible <laughs> the fate of the the stab films. That was the one moment where I almost kind of like, oh God, you know, I can see the toxic fandom in me in that way, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there is this element of of like what is precious and should it be? And like what's when is it too pre- like when are you considering a thing too precious? Like, for example, <laughs> I remember going to like I grew up reading, as we well know, reading comic books and Spider-Man was a big one. Wolverine was a big one. X-Men. But I remember going to the first Wolverine movie called Wolverine Origins <laughs> and and being really upset like because I just was like not only is this not like kind of what I was hoping it would be but it's just a bad bad movie and I felt like betrayed in a way or something like that I just was like I don't like I don't want this I don't want to even be here I don't, like one of the few times I actually considered just leaving a, a, a theater because I was like this is just so not what I would have hoped it for and so that you know magnifying that feeling I think is what a lot of people experience like I'm not gonna lose my shit over it but I was upset in a sort of disappointed way yeah and I think that people, you know, they, they, this is maybe a bigger conversation about the world today, or maybe the world has always been like humans have always been this way, but just how dear and precious people consider certain art or just anything. It could be a sports team. It could be a musician, whatever, whatever it may be, but like attaching yourself and importance to that thing on such a, such a deep level when does that become toxic and whose responsibility is it in the creation of anything related to that thing that you consider precious to like try to consider your position on it i think there is a line because like I want to make the comparison to like what is that feeling we so feel so deeply that you felt when right. Wolverine didn't come out good? And so if that character is so so important with you, it's almost like you just want other people to experience a little bit of what that may feel fe- may feel like. Like if it was a good Wolverine movie, you might be able to show someone important to you, or the rest of the world all of a sudden gets Wolverine and it's exciting and it, it reinforces that love. Right. So where I'm going is like to compare that to not actually people, but like when you lose someone, a person's, you know, like, you know, they, they pass away. It's that's where that pain can, you know, is feels so rooted. And it feels like is no one will ever get to know, you know, this, all that made this person wonderful. They won't ever get to experience them the same way I did. They'll never know things that made them special. And that's, you know, I don't know. That's at least what I did with as hurting. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a more, pure way yes so so that but the next step that seems to happen in the world that we uh, are in now is that the disappointment or anger or whatever in in the loss of that thing or or just it not being what you wanted it to be gets turned back around onto the creator Mm. and i think that's really the core problem i guess with this toxic fandom sort of thing it's like they're yeah they yes they did not deliver what you wanted but they're 
they're different than you. Mm-hmm. They're a different person, and they're doing what they think is best. <laughs> now, you could disagree on the outcome, but should you go after them in the way that, like, we see people go after I mean, directors or writers. We or went after, I slash we went after so hard the studio behind uh, the new Grudge movie, you know? It's like <laughs> there was toxic uh, fandom on my part, you know? Yes, yes. But we are, yes, that's true. Well, it's an interesting he, fine line. But so that's what that was, was getting to with your question was what is that line? Yeah. And I think that is that line, you know, we have that distinguishment, bet- distinguishment between a character and a story and a you know a, a world property whatever you want to call it and then that example i gave of someone's life or even you know a, a pet's life or something or a place even you know something grounded in our physical reality yeah um that when it crosses a line of sort of somehow and it doesn't have to be physical like in <laughs> scream five scream 2022 <laughs> but as soon as you're inflicting something on the pain spectrum you know, because of that, that fandom and not getting to share that of them getting the Wolverine movie wrong or whatever. <laughs> That's when it crosses the line is if a person's going to be hurt somehow, you know, or death threats on Twitter, or violence <laughs> yeah. threats on right, Twitter. Right. Like, exactly. like when it gets to the point of or, or racist or misogynistic comments on Twitter because you didn't like whatever that person created. I mean, that yeah, that's that's where it gets to when it gets to violent language or violent. Uh, and it's just so fast in the, I think, you, yeah, as you said, it, it happens instantly with all different types of opinions and ideas that float out there. I mean, people will get called the most horrible things in the world if someone has even a slightly different opinion from them. And of course, when it comes to movies, which are n- aren't as in the grand scheme of things, aren't as important as a lot of other things that are going around. That just makes people go that much harder, that much quicker when it comes to that kind of anger on Twitter. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. I think it's fascinating. I mean, I really like, I remember watching a, I don't know, it must've been a documentary or something quite a long time ago about what's called a parasocial relationship. And essentially that's like, when a fan has a connection to a character or an actor, but typically it'd be like a character. So it's like, you know, you watch Seinfeld and you've watched it so much that you think you know Jerry Seinfeld. You mm. you you form what feels like an actual relationship with this character so much so that you on some level believe that you know that person. Mm-hmm. You don't. And they definitely don't know you. But you feel like you have this connection, and that's a really powerful thing that is very common. And you see, like, I when I was younger, I dated a, a, a woman who was on a soap opera. Oh. And, like, when she would walk out of the studio, there would be people standing there calling her by her character's name, like, <laughs> talking to her as the character. And it was real. like I would just sort of stand back and like watch this and be like, whoa, this is weird, you know, because they must know, right, that she's this person in real life, not the character. But they are just kind of ignoring that fact and because they're so wrapped up in the thing. And so to me, I'm like, there's something quite beautiful about the idea that you love, you know, an artistic expression that much. That you, that you feel this connection to it, and I I think that there's a positive element to that, but it so quickly can slip into something very negative, and I think 
the connectivity of our world, Twitter and and social media and, and such, has become this weird petri dish for that toxicity. And like sometimes there's really beautiful, positive, non-toxic versions of this in those realms, but it feels like the other thing is more common. Well, speaking of connectivity to <laughs> worlds, um, something I loved about this one was kind of what we went through was those fun little connections to mainly the original scream. Like it's, I, I mean, going into it, I was like, did they kind of do it all by the fourth one? <laughs> like how many more, like, you know, more, more direct, not so tenuous connections can we make here between who parented who and who's the sibling to who and all that. <laughs> but the way that they pulled it off really had me sold. It was fun. Scream a new generation. Yeah. It's uh, and the way that the opening scene still manages to play out very similar beats to the first movie between the question she's being asked, but also like at almost the exact same point in the conversation, she pulls the knife out of the mm-hmm. little, little thing. What I don't know what it's called. The block, the knife block at almost the exact same point, just like Drew Barrymore did in the first one. So it just, I, I mean, I don't know what that really means necessarily, but it still <laughs> felt like a fresh take. So yeah, it's a requel. It's a, a remake. And this is the point where they finally got to that. I mean, scream four is like, just so self-referential and self uh, self parody in a way, which results in a, yeah, a pretty fun time. But this was the point it kind of bridges the gap between the originals and now this requel that we have. Yeah, it does. I mean, hearing you put it that way, makes me kind of realize scream four was still a bit too close to the other ones to not do the whole, like it's a generation later. It's about all the kids. So it's really a trip watching this one thinking like, how the high schoolers in this one, the main characters are talking about the old killings, like how we, and the old stab movies, like how we are reflecting on the screen movies in our lives. And it's all our, you know, we're the parents and they're the kids. It's just, I don't know. It was tripping me out in that That, sense. That self-referential like aspect, I think is so, so strong in this because it is the thing like any anytime you're if you're doing a movie where you have to have people like understanding the rules of a horror movie or any movie how do you frame it better than in the first one by you know having a guy who works in a video store hmm. be like okay everybody just so you know like here's how it goes but this it, this is able to do it plus a bunch more because they're not just being like, oh, horror movies are this and this is what we have to look out for. They're they're talking about all like movie entertainment at yeah. this point and talking about like what goes into a requel and what that even is. And like part of me, I want to think, oh, that's where they're kind of it's hand holding the audience. But it's not. It doesn't play that way. I think it plays really well. Re- quite well well. the goal is to meet the audience where they're at and then some a little bit that's kind of you know on every level yeah that's some i mean they still something that i like about this movie that i feel like doesn't quite work in scream 4 for me is it feels it still feels grounded in reality these feel like real people talking the way real people talk and the way it's filmed is uh 
like kind of a throwback to the original. It fi- it's filmed in a very realistic way without like, I mean, the fourth one had really bright colors and uh, a-, a lot like more zippy sort of MTV like direction in a way that it, fi- <laughs> it felt like a little removed from reality in that way. Whereas this, it felt very back to basics, like something you could walk into. And yeah, like the rules of the recall, when she says, even Star Wars, like, yeah, I feel like Star Wars kind of kicks that off with The Force Awakens. Maybe, maybe something did it before that, but that's when I first really noticing The Force Awakens. So it's basically just another way of telling the story of A New Hope again. And they're just, that's just become a thing with like the Matrix Resurrections and, yeah. uh, um, of course, nothing else coming to mind right now, yeah. but it's it's a real trend right now. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting what you said there about just kind of describing the style. And this was this was something that I kind of flip flopped on where at first I'm like, is this something is this a reason why this isn't working for me? But then I realized maybe more than like just thinking about it since no, this is something that is working. And that's the fact it was throwing me off at first that it wasn't a Wes Craven movie. It wasn't like the other ones. It did not have the look and feel of the other ones, you know, and as those went on, I mean, maybe that was just sort of the nature of, you know, a filmmaker closer to his time with the first one is going to better reflect the reality of the nineties, just matching with the filmmaking style. Mm. And by the fourth one, I don't know. So, but I love all, you know, the one through four so much the style though, maybe like what you're getting at it's it bridges further even though it's bridging further from reality it's still you're enjoying it like i'm in the scream world right like it's it's the feel it's the look of it everything that west craven brings to it so you know immediately when you're watching this new one i'm like this is different and i don't know what to make of it but i realize in the end that's a good thing and that is working on that I guess them them we haven't said the word yet, but it's working on that meta level. <clears throat> it's working on that meta level where the um oh yeah, where I realize like that's a good thing because we are so far separated from it now that you don't want it to be like the originals. That would feel even more almost out of place. Not that I'm down he couldn't do it, it'd still be great. But I think for where we're at and what we're saying about horror movies and doing a fifth one and treating it as a requill, which a reboot is built into that, it is kind of built in to the bones to have it be different filmmakers and have that work for it, you know? I, I, I liked the look of yeah. this movie a lot. Like, I felt, I don't know, I felt in good hands, I guess. Just from a aesthetic and sort of pacing point of view i was like i like the coloring i like the mm-hmm. shot selection i like the vibe of the world like it still feels like woodsboro but it, it feels modern right so which it, is important right like we oh. it is it is it's literally what would woodsboro be now yeah and and i felt like they managed to to kind of bridge that gap between the woodsboro that we knew and what it would potentially turn into in the modern world modern world like it was a hundred years ago but <laughs> like you know what I mean. yeah it, it yeah the, the colors were a little drab i liked that about it it felt dark it felt like a gloomy thing it felt like this was a real scary situation they were in even though they had a lot of funny lines and things to laugh at it's it felt it, the the horror worked for me this time there wasn't really a distance to it it felt like uh yeah i i felt for the characters it 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 hit home for me. It, so, it yeah. also, I think it felt emotionally grounded too, mm-hmm. which yeah. is 
important. Whereas maybe the fourth one got a little flippant in in sort of its own self-referential or like self-parody realm of like it's almost everything's a little bit of a joke. This one did not feel like that. If I, I mean, I felt like, oh, Dewey's having a really hard time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. like, yeah. like life is hard, <laughs> yeah. and yet there's still a charm that the first one in particular possessed that I thought carried through this one. Like the fact that we, like, we see Dewey, we meet him at a pretty low spot. You know, there's liquor bottles all over the place. He looks rough Mm -hmm. but then he's watching gail's morning show and there's something just like charming and sweet and sad but like endearing about all of that so like being able to have both that kind of uh what would be the word for it i'm not exactly sure it's light-hearted and deeply grounded emotionally grounded at the same time which is actually i think kind of hard to pull off it's that he's a character and he's a person right but having the context of who he is or who he was and seeing him where he is now i think really you know lets us feel all of those things on both sides of it when he struggles over that text message that's (laughs) that's such a great moment i mean like uh, I mean, yeah, the the way the text messaging has become such a part of filmmaking now, there is something that it that can be not only relatable but also very, very well, nicely visual in expressing people's feelings. And that I just I liked that moment there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when they do get on screen together, I loved that scene just to talk about Dewey and some of the charm of the originals carrying through to this one. Yeah. The Gail Dewey thing. They had their one big reunion scene together. And just when they slipped right back into their calling each other out and knowing each other so well, bickering mode, it was like right at home. It was great. I loved that scene. I, I mean, I I think not that I've consumed Courtney Cox like, uh, you know, whatever you call it, the movies and TV shows she's been in on a high level. But her acting in that scene is very good, like very, very good, like to the point where I was like, oh, man, (laughs) Courtney Cox showed up like she showed up and is like giving a really, really great, deep, emotionally grounded performance like cool. Yeah. yeah. The two of them, they really kill it here. I mean, there is one of my problems with some of the earlier movies is I did get a little bit annoyed with some of their banter in oh the earlier ones. Yeah. yeah like times, sure. There were times where they could be kind of my least favorite parts of the movie, but there's, yeah, they've been I, through a lot. They're a lot more relatable is it, this time around. I think it's three where there's like a whole sequence where it's like a buddy cop movie between the two of them. And it's just like, guys, what are we well, doing? That well, was kind of great. It's Gail with her, the Gail actor, Parker Posey playing Gail Weathers. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. pretty fun. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, you might be t- uh, the part where they break into the school together in Scream 2. That, I don't Maybe know that's, that's what the, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, that. Like when that when the movie becomes theirs, mm. it kind of runs off. <laughs> the, the I remember trails, that back yeah. when Scream Three came out, it was like a critique where it felt like the Gail Dewey show in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Peter, for, for this one, I mean, I just kind of was excited to set us off on the thread and looking at my notes here. But I mean, 
just reset a little bit like what mm-hmm. worked for you about this what was your experience going oh into this God. and your yeah. like <laughs> where were your expectations at and at what point were they exceeded okay i really tried to go in this cold i watched the teaser trailer i think when it first came out one time and got really excited about it didn't remember much about it beyond that i mean that trailer we watched earlier i'm quite certain i have not seen that so um the opening moment jenna ortega just uh, she kills it the way her presence on that screen the way that she converses and the way that she reacts and the the pain you see in her when she gets attacked and the fear she that is one of the better scream queen performances i have seen in a long to ever I, I think she really and it felt very modern too i mean drew barrymore is brilliant in that one scene she has and then uh she basically brings a modern sensibility to a very similar scene and uh yeah taking out the phone and turning the turning the locks on and i didn't even know that was something you could do apparently that's (laughs) something that homes have now um uh but yeah there there's that and um getting introduced to all these new characters some well yeah most of them really worked for me (laughs) we will get to the rest later um but uh getting to know these new characters experiencing the style and seeing these uh kills for the first time and seeing that um mikey madison who uh, someone who is uh is basically the star of one of my favorite scenes in the history of film from once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, that makes me, that made me very happy that she was in it. Um, and just getting the flavor of these, uh, a more grounded realistic version of scream that I didn't really get from the last movie. It made me super happy. There were, um, when it gets to Stu mockers house, I felt like I had, kind of figured that out beforehand but it still didn't it still kind of worked when they had that big like floating through the house reveal of where they were it it was very star wars as well the the scene between gail and dewey it did remind me a lot of when han and leia meet in the force awakens i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> not have that in my mind when that happened but but yeah the kills were more a lot of them more gruesome i don't know if that's because we have better technology now or because filmmakers just have uh, dirty like crazier minds now but the way the knife would just go through and come out the other end of um West. of wes's yeah. neck that was that was brutal but it just it, getting it, getting to guess and wonder who the killers were again after after so many years of not being able to see a movie where i could experience that and seeing their motives and seeing how they could play it and be so charismatic in that way and seeing Sidney Prescott again, who once Nev Campbell is just is the reason why these movies work as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it, it really was a super fun time at the movies that I have not, haven't really been back to a movie theater very much lately. So I was really pleased with how much this worked for me and the meta aspect it was so fun. It felt like they were reflecting a lot of things that I've been thinking about when I go to see this current state of movies nowadays and finally seeing a death of these three core characters as well meant a lot to me too. I mean, I'm just kind of listing off. I know we, we, right we want to so, say yeah. stuff on all these things. Yeah, Peter. So I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I will, I will just pause there, but it all really, it made me super thrilled and happy. Cool. 
How huh? do you feel about Jenna Ortega? Did, did <laughs> well, she, she appeared back to in the uh, right. a film we had already covered, Tim. Did she really? I like. I love the Tim racking his face. Oh my god, uh, <laughs> racking his brain. I face. know she was in. She's in uh, you, the TV show, the you. babysitter killer queen. She's in that. She's the girl. <laughs> really? Yeah, she's the love interest. The like the the cool quiet girl who's all punk and then. Oh man! You know. Wow, you're right. Yeah. I gotta uh, watch that now. All right. Okay. Well, no. To no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the first one. I thought it was all right. I anyway. liked it more okay. than Tim. <laughs> she I'm was pretty sure I listened to that episode. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to get it for each of us. Kind of our experience sitting down. When did we click into it? Um, for me, it was when we got to. We were starting to set up the new characters, and we meet Sam for the first time. And her boyfriend steps out, and as soon as you see him, uh, what's that? That actor Jack Quaid. Just your your mind, my mind just went, oh, he's got to be the killer, you know yeah, that kind of too. thing. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized, wait, no, but scream. So I'm supposed to be thinking that that means no, she is. She's totally. I know that'd be you know. And then I was already off to the races, and then she calls the sister. Basically, within that first like couple minutes of that scene i was like okay it's already doing the thing where i'm just thinking all three of these different people talking to each other are have to be the killer so i'm like great i'm in it's doing the scream thing i immediately the second they showed richie i was like this is the first man that they've shown in the the film so far he he's a killer i don't know why that triggers that thought but like immediately that was my instinct to be like all right so this is scream has always been a female centric sort of mo- like series and just being introduced to that dude <laughs> was yeah. enough for me to be like that's eh, him well so <laughs> okay well what was your experience as far as when did you first plug in you're digging it this is scream again probably the hospital scene the first attack in the hospital scene I sort of was like, here we go. Um, partially because one of my favorite things about the Scream movies is is that interaction of uh, between Ghostface and whoever they're going after. And the dodging and the sort of like just being able to get out of reach and the, the, the battle of that is always my favorite stuff in these movies. Um, and so like, for example, when... Sam is in the whatever that is cafeteria or or whatever uh, room and they're quite literally just dancing around a circular table right and it's just sort of a back and forth like I, you know I used to do that with my brother all the time I rather he would be chasing me and we'd be like at other odds you know at, at the other ends of the table of each other and like who's gonna go which way first and then she just pushes the table into Ghostface and it like legitimately knocks <laughs> them down and, and she can kind of get away. Like that kind of stuff, like thwarting him or them, the, the Ghostfaces, is my favorite stuff. So at that point, I was like keyed in. And that's key Ghostface characteristics. He has to be just fightable enough to have that tussle. He's not right. a, he or she is. You know, <laughs> but I, I speak as identifying it with that voice and mm-hmm. how Ghostface is at the same time, even though there's always the ending of who it actually is, Ghostface is his own thing too. Um but yes, yes, that's a big part of it. 
that battle that can play out when they're chasing each other out and that totally yeah it, it did a great job of that agreed yeah yeah i that is something i've always liked about the like she she'll he'll ghostface will chase sydney prescott up the stairs and she'll just be throwing things at his head and it like they will they will hit him it, like you you see the humanity there so that kind of makes it a little bit more like scarier and more real and like yeah it just feels right <laughs> well and that's yeah that's an interesting component too because i love that that ghostface can be slowed down and is and is almost incompetent almost sort of like out of their element and goofy and yet they still end up killing people well i realize i think that 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 back and forth that sort of play is is to me the my most favorite aspect of the scream franchise because i realize what it does is in that moment when that fight is happening it does so much for the suspense of if they're gonna get out of it or not because at any given moment they could fight back and succeed like i mean it is truly we've talked about this many times but the this this tool of reversals right like you want you the audience want to be going oh yes they're okay oh no they're not okay oh yes they got away oh no now they're in trouble and like that's what builds excitement and suspense and you know all of the things that you want in a good horror film to really uh, any film to be honest that's the thing about ghostface is in each of these movies it's more or less the first time this person has been doing this. It's right. not like you're watching the 12th Halloween movie and it's Michael Myers mm-hmm. once again, master at uh, killing people. So yeah, yeah. The, the Ghostface cannot be too good at killing. Right. Otherwise we, I don't know. I'd be like, okay, I, I care, my, I care. my favorite example of what I touch on the kill. Some Peter mentioned it already was the suspense. And then moment it happened of the tussle of Wes getting the knife through his neck yeah was it where it's just like that's something i've always felt when watching these movies specifically i guess i want to say almost all slashers or movies where a knife is the threat is you you just get that that's where i feel vulnerable when because there's always that moment where you're trying to push the guy with the girl with the knife away and it's just that that pure muscle struggle. You feel it could come towards you slower and slower and slower. And I'm always feeling like, oh, but what if they get it just there mm-hmm. in that slow approach and to see it play yeah. out? I don't I can't recall when I've seen that actually happening before mm-hmm. to get it here. So well done. So viscerally with that exact kind of uh, back and forth lead up. That was hands down my favorite just sort of visceral <laughs> kill i mean this. the kills were pretty brutal yeah like yeah, they're they were out there <laughs> the uh the moment in the opening scene <laughs> i mean two things happened that really i mean right off the bat i was like oh my god <laughs> we're this is we're at a different level already her putting her hand up mm. to to like yeah. defensively and the just getting her hand stabbed yeah. was gnarly and then just getting her leg snapped <laughs> like stomps on the back of her leg and like breaks her i guess shin or whatever it would be is really really brutal <laughs> that was a first yeah that was not something you've seen but in like movies. the sheriff's death is really intensely violent yeah yeah um, repeated stabs yeah. yeah quick repeated stabs mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's I think it's appropriately violent. Um I didn't think it was 
gratuitous or over the top, but I was like, yeah, this is legitimately violent and scary. Like there, whoever is behind the mask is not, uh, messing around. Yeah. It's a scream movie. I mean, they open Dewey up. Yeah. 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 Right. In the front and then in the back as well. Like just that's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) It was, uh, I mean, I just, cause you mentioned it. That was probably in a non just slasher gore sense. My favorite kill. Cause it, it had to be, he was the one who I, uh, was most hoping would live yeah do we oh, yeah so when it happened i was just fully feeling it and it just it was just sent me for a trip too when they say then later in the movie of um they say something about how big of a deal it would be to to kill off the main the main players or, or the stakes are that high that's yeah. what they said and boy did i feel them then and there in that moment so just um you only get so many and the impact that it was supposed to have, I definitely felt. There was something so, well, I don't know if this is what worked or what didn't work or what, but the fact that the basically what does him in is he gets for a split second distracted because Gail is calling him on his cell phone. I mean, I had that, and that definitely was worked for me. It added yeah. this whole other touch of tragedy and just uh, yeah. to it. <laughs> that was just so, oh, it was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, um, oh, I mean, you can't help but see the fact that, you know, Courtney Cox and David Arquette, they were actually married in real life. So you, you almost feel that play out in the same way. Mm. Um, he yes, he was sta- in the first movie. He was stabbed in the back. And I think he was I want to say he was stabbed in the front in the set. He's uh, like. He so says that see he was stabbed eight times, I think he says, in this movie. <laughs> right, right. That's, uh, he's he like, does say that. <laughs> and he's got like some, what do you get? Sh- he got shot too, didn't he, in one of them? So he's got yes. like nerve damage in his leg. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, really, he gets his limb. Yeah. He really in the, got it bad. In the first movie, you think he's dead. Uh, That's right. Because yes. he has a, a knife in his back. So yeah, to see that happen on both ends, just it, yeah. it felt very interestingly poetic there as well. Um. So, uh, yeah, just experience watching it. I said, like, as soon as it was doing the scream thing of um, not knowing, you know, thinking everyone was the killer, I was in it in that sense. But I, I say it got me even earlier than that. What, you know, when you talked on the touched on the very first scene, the opening scene with uh, <laughs> Jenna Ortega's character, T- Tara Tara. Um, <laughs> she uh, the call when she gets the call. I thought it was just so interesting and smart what they did with mm. Ghostface's voice where at first it doesn't quite sound like him. It's just enough to kind of throw us off. But I just there's there's something that was it, it, it as this part of like, again, like making Ghostface into his own entity. Just the fact that like Ghostface, whoever it is, Ghostface as Ghostface would fake sounding like himself sounding like a normal person you know (laughs) i thought that was such a cool interesting touch in that sense but then also just to throw us off that little bit of like going like wait is it him it almost sounded like the guy who plays ghost voice is doing a west craven impression which i thought Mm. was weird (laughs) interesting yeah yeah i felt that way too it was doing a lot of different things that engaged me in a new fresh way it was cool I also, oh, I have to throw in the fact that it subverted expectation. Everyone in an opening scene of a Scream movie gets killed. So to hear in the mm-hmm. next scene, 
oh, she's okay. She survived. That's, also, <laughs> like, that was something to, that like, to hear her that sh- that after what we just witnessed, yeah. somebody could have survived. Right. That was yeah. pretty shocking. Yeah, that, boy, that ghost face was not very thorough. Like, I mean, she was just down on the floor, like he completely stabbed, helpless, yeah, and Ghostface forgot to finish her. Stabbed out. her like fifteen times and missed every vital organ. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They just make it work with like the timing of hearing the sirens pull up. Yeah. It's like you can kind of get the timing of okay, as soon as we cut to the opening title mm, he yeah. ran out and the ambulance had arrived whatever yeah but yeah. i i was happy though because i wanted i didn't want that character to die i wanted to see her in more of yeah. the movie and i was glad she yeah let's see she got more action in that now i have to ask at what point did either of you start to suspect amber was the killer it didn't honestly it didn't uh, she was never really a prime suspect as like more so than any of the others um there just because of who she is and who i associate her with um basically the manson family uh, yeah that <laughs> that probably uh had something like, like contributed a little bit but um no there wasn't really a mo- when watching it the second time there is a moment in the hospital where she and rich are just bantering back and maybe you're the killer. Well, maybe you're the killer. Where were you? Where were you? So that's kind of a good giveaway there. Um, but I never, she was never really tops on my list the way that Rich was. Yeah. Rich was like, I kind of figured that out pretty quickly. Yeah. Maybe this is kind of like what you're saying, but for me, I was just so on my mind. It was just so on my mind of how much I wanted her to be the killer because <laughs> of similarly to you, Peter, being a fan of hers in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And just I wanted to see her go killer mode so mm. bad um, that that was kind of distracting me from the could it actually be her or not when I was just like, I hope it's her. I hope see, it's I didn't her. make that connection to the Once Upon a Time at all. I f- forgot completely she that gets she was a in a horrific real... burning death in both of them. I, it's I, really I something. I just forgot that's... that that was the same person because no, I only yeah. saw it the one time when it came out. So That's the thing. I was, cut, like, because I knew what movie I was watching and I saw, oh my God, she's in this movie. I was thinking, wouldn't it be awesome if she, like, got burned to death like in Once Upon a Time <laughs> in Hollywood? Then I found out she was the killer. It's like, what if that's how she died? And it's like, oh, that's that's just crazy. Then the stove turns on, and it it happens. That right. made me so happy. Like, <laughs> there's no way that was unintentional. That was I very much believe that that was an intentional. She's homage. gonna have a great uh, acting reel. Just these horrific, incredible deaths. <laughs> yes, largely indeed. getting burned. Hand sanitizer. <laughs> that was that was good. Yeah. Um, the reason I kind of bring that up is because for me, like one of the things that worked quite well in this one is how scene to scene they're they are alluding to or at least making it you know suggesting the possibility of anybody being the killer right and they're they're not just saying it, which they do right like the in conversation of the characters they kind of say, well, it could be you, it could be you, whatever for this reason or that, but they are like the film is also showing us things that make us go, well, why'd they show us that? Like, why'd they hold on her a little bit longer? Why'd they hold on him? Like, what was that look? And I think that's kind of the most fun stuff of mm-hmm. these this series as well, that everything is a misdirect anyway. So, like, nothing is. Yeah. In a way. It's like, right. That's like what I was saying. And I love that. That opening scene where it's just, I had to throw my hands up as soon as I was accusing everyone of being the killer. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. But I will say, the second we see footage of Amber in the opening scene, 
I was like, that mm. feels off. That feels weird. And I started to kind of go, hmm, well, okay, well, maybe it is. Maybe that's who it is. And, mm. and then every scene with her, it feels like it's really leaning toward her. Like she does stuff that you're just like, if you're trying to not be caught as the killer, like you're bad at it. Like right. you're you're constantly doing things and like giving looks or like acting like the jealous girlfriend thing. Like that, that just a bunch of stuff where I was like, man, she's really laying it on thick. Like, <laughs> but in that sense, that I think makes you the audience kind of immediately go, well, they wouldn't be that heavy handed, so it can't mm-hmm. be her. So yeah. maybe that's what they were going for. I don't know. But I like I liked it either way. I liked how it was all framed. Because yeah. everybody does kind of get their little moment, which, you know, I think is apropos to a Scream movie. Yeah. You kind of pointed out there's the scene by scene, just sort of paying attention to looks and moments and interactions. But then, like you pointed out, there's also just the more um, the the spoken accusations or the uh, basically what I'm getting. I loved the scene where it's felt like for the first time in these movies almost like the scene that you always wanted as soon as you have a a, the first sequel where they're just kind of like look it's got to be one of us so let's just all sit in a room and talk about it (laughs) (laughs) i loved that and just to have them um and i think where i sat up is as soon as i was you know had the thought earlier on of oh it could be sam and she's the killer and just some you know it's the main character now that would be new uh, so as soon as they brought up that she could be the killer in that scene, that just made me so happy and reengaged me. Cause then all of a sudden I felt like, okay, the movie's at my level again. <laughs> it, <laughs> it very, it knows it could be her, which means I don't know if it's her anymore. Did you, after she was attacked in the hospital, did you still think that, that maybe there was a chance that that was just mm. messing with us that much that she was still? No, I think killing? at that okay. point, no, no. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I felt the same, but still, I mean, it was quite a shock when Emma Roberts turned out to be the killer in the fourth movie. Right. So I, did, like, don't and then really. I, I don't know. And then I also kind of ruled it out because I thought the plausible explanation was that you know, something to do with her being crazy. And I thought that was still oh, yeah. too much of a, a sensitive topic to mm. kind of go there that, you know, the person on meds is the killer or whatever. Right. I mean, I guess things. in this case, they they did the opposite, right? They're like her, you know, her psychosis helped her kill the killer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when she goes crazy on it, I was like, yeah, that's that's the da- yeah. the daughter of a serial killer right there. And, and it's, yeah, you just forget. It's, it's a awesome moment um (laughs) the coming back to the house at the end from the original yes you touched on that peter yes so i I don't really i'm not quite sure how i feel i'm not sure what your question was but i'll just go ahead and share um i was just yeah i mean if you had more on it yeah please well i i'm not quite sure how i feel about that because uh, maybe i'm contradicting what i said earlier because i'm remembering now yeah when they first showed the house i was like is that Stu's house and then she goes down into the basement and it's like uh, there's a shot that directly mirrors the shot of Rose McGowan as she's at the top of the mm-hmm. um, the stairs going down to get the beer. But then she goes down the stairs. The basement doesn't look like the basement in the first movie. Like, okay, so I guess that's not the house. It just looks like the house. Then 
then it turns out it is. It's like, was I supposed to not know that was the house the whole time? I, 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 yeah. It but you were like, saying it, it worked for you in like the final set piece sense and you liked that it was the come full circle, right? I lo- yeah, I loved the fact that I was just in that house again. Like just being uh, just as a fan, as fan service, it really worked well. And uh, in the context of the movie, it made sense too. I... I'm quite certain that wasn't the actual house. The actual house is owned by someone and looks a little bit different now. Like the cut painting is different. So pretty sure that was a set, but uh, that's more of a thing of note. But nonetheless, uh, it was, yeah, it was really cool just the way it mirrored and and the intensity of the way it was shot, the way everything kept building up uh, was just, it, it, it was just mind blowing. It just made me so, so thrilled to be back in that context. Again. Like when she's watching the scene in the very same room. Oh my God, that was amazing. I, like, <laughs> I liked that a lot. I, it's, that is, has been one of the treats of the further sequels is seeing bits of the stab movies that we'll probably right. never get to see the whole thing. But to, like to see more of it this time and see it, it being referenced. And I, when I watched Scream 4 uh, a couple of days ago, I had forgotten that there's a reference that in Scream 5, there's like time travel and the fans really hated that. And then they got back to basics with, uh, sorry, Stab 5, it was about time travel. Then they got to back to basics and Stab 6. <laughs> so the idea that now the fans are mad again at Stab 8, but now they're going back to Stab 1 and everyone's happy again. It's just, I would love to see more okay. of these. Well, and also the performances in that Stab movie are so terrible. <laughs> they're, they're so bad. I don't know if it's meant to be some kind of commentary there too. But um, I, I mean... I love the fact that the second Sydney walks into that house, she just shoots every closed door. Yes. Yeah. Oh, like I'm I was so excited to see a, you know, a hero moment of her being like, yeah, I'm not going to fall for any of this bullshit. Yeah. Which I love that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you have five seconds to show yourself killer or not. Like she yeah. didn't. I was like, yeah, because <laughs> why? Why wouldn't an innocent person just come right. out at that point? And, and she then, does shoot him. Yeah, yeah. Which, she, damn. <laughs> a lot of people get shot and still work out pretty much okay after. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about yeah, that sure. later, yeah, Peter. We'll get there, right? okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, she shoots him, and uh, he still manages to play it off. And I still. I should have 100% figured it out at that point, but still, still was only like 80% sure yeah. it was rich. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I wanted to bring up that again, just I thought it was another example of, okay, I, I guess I, I thought this was an interesting theme that the film was playing with is the idea that with these requills, and this is where I thought this was working in the meta commentary sense of common, you know, <laughs> putting into the, the the bones of the movie itself uh, what requels do and doing it itself, mm-hmm. you know? So there's always the idea that, like, with fans and the nostalgia, there's this part of us that always, like, wants to go back to the original thing, but we can't, you know? And that's mm-hmm. what I think requels are always wrestling with in an interesting way. And this film, I think, is in conversation with that in a really interesting way. Whereas like whether it's, you know, the house in the end and just the way that when we're in it and when she's in that room, that same living room, it just like, it's seeing the new TV there versus the old TV where, you know, it's just different. Mm -hmm. It's the, uh, the built in effect of just having the main players just look older, you know, it's, um, but then it's intentional in, in bits and pieces. Like, it, it, I don't know, I started thinking about this in the moment where the, 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 
the the weird sketchy ex-boyfriend or whatever guy is that earlier death mm. with red right hand playing yes. in the car radio uh, where really about that. it yeah. just the movie that you're watching and adjusted to at that point at this point it just felt so separate from the originals and hearing the song from the original in it just kind of called that out in a way and it's like saying we can't even use it in the soundtrack anymore unless it's um diegetic and within you know the, <laughs> right, the world right. of the movie itself it's sort of almost going like that was then we can't go back to like that fitting anymore we're so far from there which is kind of tied back to what i was saying about it kind of working in its favor of not being a west craven movie in that sense of like you can't go back and it's almost better that we have uh jumped ahead now <laughs> you know to, to modern times fully so that, that was just something i was paying attention to it was anything that was playing with that i thought was really cool i i do want to say about the whole meta aspect of this movie um which on one hand you can i've i've read i try not to be too influenced here but i have read a, re, a couple of reviews saying like why is this movie so meta like just get to the point just get to the scares and i just have to come back the scream movies have always been that For, right. the first movie was that it was commenting on the state of slasher movies at that time scream 2 was commenting on the state of sequels i don't i don't need to go down the list and here we are Scream 2022 is commenting on the state of the film industry right now and saying that it's not just horror movies that are doing this. In fact, it's probably less horror than most other genres actually right now. But and there, you know, you have something like Blair Witch 2016, which I'm not sure if you guys have seen. I do not recommend it. It was so bad. Yeah, it's like there was that when it goes back to the house at the end, it was just so lame and just remaking the like movie with different characters and all this new technology. It's like there were, they had no business doing what they did with Blair Witch compared to <laughs> it was like, Scream cool. is what it is. It's this the theme of it. Setting so. it up with the new technology and that, well, we don't want to just talk about yeah, Blair Witch. Right. But no, I think, I mean, <laughs> right. maybe, a, I don't know, example where you're saying, or a way to like pinpoint what Scream is doing specifically. It's like, yeah, Scream's the only one that will talk about it out loud, mm. but all of their horror movies should be in, <laughs> I've said this right. a lot, should be in conversation with the state of horror films, but just in the sort of knowing where audiences are at, knowing where yeah. expectations are at. It's like um, how in Scream, which the Scream movies do too, though, on top yeah. of just saying it out loud, but the saying out loud is the unique thing. But like in, it happens uh, like in the, in the, actually like, you know how it plays out. Like I thought that was so smart with Scream 4 as an example it was very of the time to have, we talked about this, to have the final set piece uh, be one that, like the, the twist one, like the movie has this extra sort of almost yeah. fourth act set piece, final, final set piece to it, just to kind of make it bigger and surprise <laughs> us, like to have that built into it. Yeah. Anyway. And commenting on it as well. It's like when uh, they're, like the killer or Emma Roberts, like the movie is supposed to be over. Why <laughs> yeah. is this really? It's still going on. See, that's like, the thing that screams does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they, and it does it well. Like that's, that's why I love them. Cause it, that's it. I can appreciate the scream movies, not necessarily as a horror fan, just as a fan of filmmaking and as a fan of like just culture in general, like it all, it, it works on so many levels. Yeah. I feel like the fact that you uh -oh. found the fact that you found a review that <laughs> that like manages to not just miss the point, <laughs> but also like 
be exactly what the movie is commenting on yeah. at the same time is pretty remarkable. <laughs> and this was a critic who I generally, I won't call him out, but someone who I generally respect. I follow his review. I was surprised to see him go that's, the direction he did in this oh review. Man, that's an annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he just doesn't like horror. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, most reviewers and critics that I hear in, not, I mean, obviously specific horror critics like horror. But most of your general world critics seem to really dislike horror. I yeah. never hear good reviews for horror from like your typical whoever, like the NPR people or whatever, mm. um, which is whatever. It's been an inherent bias. For yeah, the, yeah. Pretty, uh, well, that's uh, uh, <laughs> they, they just like elevated horror. Quote yeah, right. The Baba Duke, I'm sure, did fine. Yeah, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was some, uh, I mean, no, I don't have anything to say on that. I was just looking <laughs> at the, the terms, uh, they brought up elevated horror, mm-hmm. um, which I, it was cool. I guess that, that, that worked, but I don't know what else it did with it, but I think just being just again, self-awareness yeah. of the world of horror around you in this era is all you need. Yeah. Like I, that's there's a the, what's the term hanging a lantern right like this do you know this term it no, seems like an so. old term to me hanging lantern <laughs> back is just, when they had lanterns <laughs> yeah no, no 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 but it's just a term to to say that like when there it when there is a conceit in a in a film or or a play or whatever you write a character in to call it out and there that's the act of hanging a lantern they're shining a light on the fact that yes we know that this is a conceit or that mm. this is kind of a dumb thing so just have a character in there to call it out i mean that's what randy's character is in the first movie but but the beauty of the way west craven and and um what's his name kevin, kevin williamson. williamson build that is that they're they're expanding on that trope of like, okay, yeah, we're not just gonna like say have have a character that hangs a lantern and then move on. We're gonna make them integral to the story, and I think that carrying that through is always really exciting. That's what again another thing that makes a screen movie a screen movie. Yeah. Well, did you have any other things that worked? Either of you speak now, forever hold your peace. Um, the the implementation of all the new technology with cell phones. We went back. I mean, we started with landlines before caller ID was even really a thing. Um, <laughs> and now they have uh, when the killer basically tricks um, whatever is it, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son um, into. Uh, sharing his location oh, so right. that yeah and yeah like that was like using that you'd think cell phones would kill movies like this but no they have found ways to make them just to utilize them in just that clever of a way and the fact that his hands are too bloody to be able to yeah, push I like that. The butt, that was <laughs> that so was like that was cool i i wouldn't have thought to do that that was yeah so things like that like bringing in the new technology that really worked for me as well <laughs> yeah i don't think i have anything else overt do you, Ryan? I think I've gone down my list here, Tim. Cool. Hello, everybody. Tim here. Just wanted to chime in and let you know that that concludes part one of our episode on Scream. We'll be coming back next week with part two. We hope that you join us, and we can't wait to share the rest of our thoughts with all of you. 
our favorite listeners, especially you. Yes, you. See you next week. Goodbye.